bet they're really getting confidence now. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cuddy and the Cooge on Sports. Today we are talking to another female. We love sprinkling in our females. Um, There's not a ton, but there's enough. And uh, this one goes particularly far back with Cuddy over here. So I'm going to turn it over for him to introduce her. Thanks, Cooge. Thanks, Cooge. Yeah, we got a great guest today. Um, really happy to have Maria. Maria Amoroso was her name when we first met. Now it's Maria Castro. And, uh, she was a graduate student for me. You want me to say when Maria, is that okay? Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, when you're looking for a job, like when I was looking for a job in my late fifties, which is hard to do, you know, I I reached out to some lady who's kind of an expert on resumes and she's like, well, you really got to bury your like dates. Like, you know, you graduated here and there and because then people will know your age. And I'm like, well, aren't they going to know my age by saying I've been working for 38 years? Like, come on, you know, you you can't you can only hide so much. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, Maria worked for me in 1992. Oh, I'm sorry. 1992. You were uh, an athletic training student at Cal State Fullerton and. um, You uh, worked under a very good mentor there in Julie Max, who ended up becoming a good friend of mine and also was the former National Athletic Trainers uh, Association president. I think she was the first female, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So and then in 1994, you came to UNLV and you worked probably for your best mentor ever. (laughs) Uh, That would be me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So after I graduated in 92, I spent 92 to 94 with you guys as a GA. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You graduate. Yes. Right. So two years, yeah. um, got a master's degree in kinesiology and then you were certified obviously. Um, and then from there you went back to UC Irvine, worked for another really good friend of mine, Jimmy Plumer, the Plumer and, uh, <laughs> the, the Plumes and, uh, and then on to UCLA with Dale Rudd, right? Dale Rudd was there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Was Grace Golden there? She was there. She was there right after me. So we we she was at UNLV when as an instructor in the curriculum program when I was a GA. So that's when I met her. And then she went to UCLA right after me. She kind of and then she went to Stanford and then she went to UCLA. Yeah, it was just different timings, different, just yeah. missed each other. Oh, okay. I thought you were there together. And yeah. then one thing I forgot you did, you went to you went to high school, right? St. Yes. John Bosco. How long were you there? I was there for um, like a year and a half, two years that I was, that I was there with the high school. It was when, um, it was when I was deciding to, you know, be a mom and have a family or be an athletic trainer because being an athletic trainer at UCLA was very high demand. (laughs) So it was kind of um, those things where I was figuring out, okay, how much time do I want to spend the work-life balance, the whole um, figuring, figuring that stuff out. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I never did figure that part out, but <laughs> I guess I survived. <laughs> uh, and then from there, you went to Riverside Community College, which w- with another one of our graduate students and a classmate of yours at UNLV, Jim Elton. Yep. And well, spend, you spend a good bit of time there um, with Jim and then ended up from there. You went to, right to Cerritos, right? Yep. So in 2013, I moved over to Cerritos as an athletic trainer. And then just pre-COVID, I guess that's how we date everything these days, or pre-COVID, <laughs> post-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so right pre-COVID is when I became the athletic director here at Cerritos. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. I oh, So you've always stayed in the warm weather then. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good California for you. girl. I left two years to go to Nevada, but then came right back to California and have been here. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So um, obviously that's a pretty distinguished career uh, so far. And uh, as I, as I talked to you when you were up for this job as the athletic director, now that you've been in that position, um, how do you like it? It's, different. (laughs) No, I do. I do enjoy it. It's, it's just the moving from an athletic trainer to an athletic director. Um, you know, what, when I was listening to your early episode, it's, it's losing that connection with the student athletes because you don't get to interact with the student athletes. It's a different interaction. Um, and so it's a, it's a different interaction of, of you don't get that day-to-day bantering and um, sarcasm with the athletes and stuff like that. And, and you don't get to, you know, now I feel like I'm doing that daily with the coaches instead of the student athletes. And so <laughs> yeah. it's just the the different relationships that, that you build within your department. Right. You know, but it's, it's, it's going good. It was really difficult coming in as a, you know, as a new athletic director, you know, I mean, I talked to a bunch of athletic trainers who made the move and your dad was one of them, you know, that was like, do I want to do this? Like, is this something, you know, that I want to do? And it's not like I have this, I didn't come into it having this, like, I want to be an athletic director. It was just kind of like, I think I could make a difference here at Cerritos. And I really enjoy the, the coaches and the atmosphere here at Cerritos. And so when the opportunity presented itself here, I was like, okay, let me apply for it. But it wasn't like I was looking for an athletic director position. I was very happy being an athletic trainer and I'm still very involved with athletic training. Yeah. And that, you know, and see, for me, it was kind of the opposite, but, um, I, I really wanted to stay involved with athletic training. And that was my initial, uh, deal with, um, Charlie Cavagnero at the time, who was our athletic director. And, you know, he assured me that I'd be able to do both. But then I found that was not even possible. And and where I really noticed it um, was, as you just mentioned, just, you know, in, instead of being in the athletic training room, like, you know, if practice whatever sport you're working with started at two o'clock, you know, instead of being in there at noon and, you know, you know, guys or girls would come in and you could BS with them and do your deal, whatever, get them ready for practice. I found myself getting there about five of two and, and like faking it, you know, like, okay, okay, everybody's ready. Let's go. And then, you know, you go into practice and you, you, you're kind of out of touch, you know? 
Um, I did that for about, I don't know, five or six months. And then I figured out, you know, it's time to move on from that, but I still miss it, but I don't, you know, I, I definitely don't miss the, or, well, I, I don't miss anything now cause I'm retired, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I definitely didn't miss the fact of the hours and at least as an administrator, you can, you have a lot of things you got to do and you got to still balance your workload, but but you kind of pick and choose, you know, it's not like you're, you're, you're requested to be at every practice every day or, or you have to be there. If a practice changes, you have to rearrange your whole schedule, you know? So that's, that's a little bit of a, you know, a, 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 I think a positive of being an administrator, but the, the yeah, negative. I think one of the weirdest things was like, somebody's like, Oh, let's meet for lunch. And I don't think I took a lunch in, you know, 25 years as an athletic <laughs> trainer. And I was like, I can go to lunch. Like <laughs> I can just shut my door and go to lunch. Like that's yeah. weird. Well, I was, so, that yeah. kind of leads me into my question, kind of going back to you saying you kind of had to choose between being an athletic or a, I'm sorry, an athletic trainer or a mother in a, in a way. Do you find that I mean, I'm sure your children might be a little bit more grown now, but do you find that athletic training might or athletic director might be more conducive to a family lifestyle than athletic training or the opposite or not at all? Um, I mean, I was I was in Division one, so I was a Division one and UCLA. So I was mm -hmm. in a, you know, a top caliber school and it was, you know, the di the difference is, you know, I don't know what, what division one athletic directors do, but I can imagine that it would be any less stressful than the athletic trainers, you know? So, um, you, you're there all the time. The coaches jobs depend on their athletes being healthy. And, and, um, I found, you know, I can tell the difference of the work-life balance of a community college, which is where I'm at versus the division one, um, so that was in itself was a work-life balance. Um, but, you know, my son is now 20. He's a swimmer. He's a rebel at um, UNLV. Oh, wow. So that's he, awesome. I was yeah, going to so, bring that up. Yes. Now yes. that you did. That's got yeah, so, to be pretty cool, right? To go back to the old uh, uh, Buchanan Natatorium for you. And <laughs> oh, yeah. So I walked in and Schwartzy is the the AD that was kind of helping with swimming and, you know, and he was just like, what are you doing here? And I was like, my son is on the team. He's like, no way. You know, so, That's crazy. Um, kind of came full circle and um, just being able, this was, you know, before Kyle and Bernie left. So I got to see them and, um, you know, go into the new facility and Eric took me around the new football facility. And so it's kind of your old stomping grounds. You get to see it's, it's, it's kind of cool. But finding that work-life balance, I think, would be easier as an athletic director than it would be as an athletic trainer, just because the, you know, they're the first ones to get there and the last ones to leave. And athletic directors can kind of come and go and they can choose their meetings and pick their times. And so if, you know, if I had to pick Cameron up from school when he was when he was young, you know, it was I had to find coverage, you know, so right. that you can't just leave where, you know, as an athletic director, I could just not schedule a meeting during that time. And I would be able to leave and, and go get them. Right. Um, right. I also had a challenge because I did end up getting divorced. And so I was a single mom 
um, mm-hmm. with him growing up. And so that was an, another added challenge on top of that, you know, so, um, but, you know, he showed up and worked with me at a lot of games and yeah, he, was, there you he go. was like you growing up in the gym, growing up in <laughs> wherever we needed to take them. They, they came and they, you know, so. Yeah. Luckily for the most part, the, the career is conducive to bringing your kid along from time to time. And the kid thinks it's the coolest thing ever. So it works out. Yeah. And you get a lot of babysitters who are, um, you know, athletes that, you know, I'll, I'll sure I'll watch your, your kid. It's like, okay, yeah. perfect. You come to the game, sit with my son over here. I'll work the game, you know, yeah. so I'm not that far, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so at UCLA, how long were you there for? I was there for four years. Wow. Yeah. That was probably super intense just from, from growing up you know, at UNLV, I obviously am really well-versed in UCLA, so I can only imagine how intense that was, but that campus is beautiful as well. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. I mean, I'm a Bruin, even though I was there for only four years, you know, I I worked with cross country and then women's basketball who Kathy Olivier was the rebel coach for a while after she left UCLA, but worked with her for, um, for four years. And then also did women's water polo with, um, you know, a lot of the Olympics, you know, team came out of UCLA at that time with, you know, Guy Baker and Adam Kerkorian and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it was a great experience to be at UCLA for those four years. Well, you, you, you volunteered for USA water polo too, right? Yes, because Guy Baker was the UCLA coach and he was also the the US Olympic coach and like five, six of the girls were on the team itself. And he practiced at Los Alamitos, which was right by my house, and said, Hey, can you can you, you know, they took me on trips, they just went everywhere. And then I was that was when they went to Australia for the um for the Olympics, but I was nine months pregnant. And so I didn't get to go with them, but they won the silver, but, you know, so that was a good experience too, getting to work at that Olympic level as well. Yeah. That's really cool. So Maria, are you still, are you still practicing athletic training or are you, I'm doing your continuing ed or, or you, what, 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 where are you at with that in your career right now? So I am keeping up with my certification. I'm doing my continuing ed. Um, I'm almost done. (laughs) (laughs) because the, the, this is a reporting year. Um, I guess I just, you know, with COVID, everything was like kind of crazy. And I was just like, okay, like, you know, community colleges aren't that well-funded. Are we going to come back? Are we going like, what was going on? And so that was something that I just, you know, worked so hard for that. I'm not, I'm not quite ready to give that up yet. I'm still really involved as the I'm the vice president of the South for the California community college athletic trainers. And so I'm still really involved with that. And we've been, you know, instrumental in getting the COVID plans back to resocialization. I do live in LA County, which is the hot spot and where it seemed to be the very slowest to come back. And so it's just, um, I just feel like our California community colleges, you know, we saw high schools competing. We saw, you know, division one, division two, division three, NAIA, everybody was competing and here we're waiting, you know, and I'm like, okay, so we just got back onto, um, 
campus about four weeks ago, and we're still kind of in this phase where we're kind of doing social distancing, conditioning with individualized equipment, and there's this whole like plan. And so we're not even doing scrimmaging or, you know, even passing the ball back and forth to each other. And so it's really just, you know, baby steps getting us back into normal. Oh, you so you guys haven't played any games or anything? Nope. Wow. That's, That's crazy. That is crazy. What are, what are your major sports? We have 19 sports. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we have the footballs, the basketballs, water polos, cross country, volleyball, um, softball, baseball, track, you know, pretty much the staples, you know, swimming, tennis, <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> you know, we don't yeah. have the ice hockeys or the lacrosse or, or things of that nature, but, um, beach volleyball. So you probably like got, that, four, you probably got four or 500 athletes in, right? Yeah. We have about 500 athletes yeah. that, we, that we manage. Wow. Yeah. And through this whole pandemic and, and everything, I mean, obviously that's where, you know, like at Albany even, um, you Albany is, is a, was kind of because we're the cap, you know, Albany's the capital of New York and, and the governor's right in Albany and all that. So it was really kind of a hotbed for this whole COVID thing. And, and the campus itself really took charge and leadership for kind of the surrounding community as far as testing and vaccines. Now, you know, you Albany campus is a big vaccine center. Um, but even then, you know, our football program, they they moved from fall to spring and they shut it down. They, they, they didn't have their last two games. And uh, so there was a lot of pauses and starts there as well, even with basketballs and so forth and so on. But you guys haven't even had that opportunity to start or stop all year. Some, yes. So, so, so they pushed all of the sports that were supposed to be in the fall to like, they put together this contingency plan that was like supposed to be the spring one and spring two. Um, and then you have the ability to opt in or opt out. Some of the community college were in places where their um, rates weren't very high. And so they were able to opt in. And, and so some of, some of the remote schools were able to opt in and have some competitions, but it's been very minimal. And LA County has been absolutely like zero. So it's been very few and far between if we have had any competition. Um, we're getting there, but it's just, it's taken us a while. So it's really frustrating for our athletes to talk about mental breakdown and depression and all of that stuff that, that you have to deal with because these poor kids are, are just trying to, you know, stay afloat. Cause they're like, I see it on TV. I see it in high schools. I see it everywhere. And I can't even get on my campus to practice. And so hmm. it's, it's been a battle. Well, and I would think too, you know, at the JC level, you got, you know, it's unlike the four-year schools, you know, they get a year back. Um, but at the JC level, those kids are really, you know, some of them, not all of them, but a majority of them are obviously their hopes and aspirations is to get a D1 scholarship coming out of the junior college. And so if you don't get, if you're not able to show your skills and, and participate as a second year, you don't, they don't get a red shirt there, do they? Or can they stay another year or? Well, they get granted, we kind of follow the NC2A guidelines or whatever. So, so they got granted 
a COVID year, I guess you oh, would okay. say. So they, they do have that. But um, the problem is, is that, you know, you have your academics that, that still keep going. And so the academics, they still have to follow that road. And then they're finishing with their AA and then they're trying to transfer and the division one schools are keeping their, their freshmen as freshmen. And so there's not as much room, there's not as much scholarship. And so it's, it's, there's a going to be a backup. We just haven't figured out how it's going to fall, but I think it's going to, you know, end up where there's a lot more students that are going to think they're going to get division one scholarships and then they're going to come back to the community college just to have an opportunity to play so that they can keep playing because it's, it's, yeah, it's going to affect them for sure. Well, that's an interesting perspective because like you said, okay, give them a fifth year to play sports or whatever, but their academics say four years, you know what I mean? So it's like, Ah, that really sucks. Like for, I mean, for me specifically, I hate school and I hated college. So I yeah, would be well, like, I, I hear that all the time. Marie. Don't <laughs> I would be like, screw whatever sport I play. I'm done with college. So I feel for that for probably some of those athletes as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, even going back to the high school kids, I feel bad for these kids that are seniors in high school and, you know, you don't get that experience. And then you get into college and, and you know, really, if you look at it, they've really almost had two, two full seasons taken away from them, you know. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot for a, a college athlete. And, and um, you know, I was talking to the, you know, the, the, the COVID had nothing to do with uh, Albany's football program not playing their last games. But, You've seen that a lot where these schools are opting out of the last couple games or the last, you know, whatever the, the rest of their season, because I just think these kids are not, um, you know, to nobody's fault. I mean, as you said, COVID has just screwed everything up over the course of the year. But like in the situation here in the Northeast, you got football players starting practice now in January. And in Albany's situation, they don't they don't really have an, an indoor practice facility, so they're outside practice and it's snowing and it's twenty degrees, and so there's not really, you know, an opportunity to really condition properly, to really work yourself into shape like you do, you know, coming in in July and working into August and throughout. So I think a lot there's so many complexities that have transpired with this whole COVID thing that I don't think anybody could have been prepared for, you know, you, right. you just and can't. I think me having the athletic training background has allowed me to make decisions for my college that are best for the health and wellness of the athletes, mm-hmm. um, giving them that proper conditioning time and saying like, no, they're not starting and playing a game in two weeks because we're going to have injuries, you know, like galore. And so yeah. just making it the best for the the student athletes and figuring out what's the safest bet for them, um, which is a perspective that, um, a lot of athletic directors maybe at this community college level don't, don't have, like, um, when I first came into athletic training, it was right when the title nine. So, so we talked about Jim Elton, um, you know, Jimmy was also my roommate. And so, when we were applying for jobs in 1994, 
all of the jobs were for female athletic trainers. And so I had interviews like right and left. I was getting flown here and here and going and Jim couldn't get a job and he was so mad, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so angry. Um, But it was tough because like he couldn't get, you know, because everybody was hiring the females because of Title IX, you know, and then I remember getting into athletic training and going to the NATA conventions and it would be the good old boys and the the Jerry Lloyds and, um, you know, those those group of old school, the Bill Chambers and, and, you know, and stuff. And you're getting those things that it wasn't as popular for females. When I first started in athletic training, they would be like, you tape in the middle of the locker room. And I'm like, I am not walking through a bunch of naked men to be able to tape their ankles. Like, right. this is not okay. You need to figure out something else. And so, um, you know, but it was right at those times where they had to make those facilities so that they were more conducive to having females as part of it. And you can see it slowly turned around. And now when you go to an NATA convention, there's more women than there are men, you know, but when I go into the ADs, um, (laughs) when I go into the AD meetings now, it's a bunch of men like that are that are old school and so there's not as many women in the athletic directors positions it's it's turning around quite a bit now but it's just funny because I feel like I'm back in the place where I was at the beginning of athletic training now as an AD in the at the community college level yeah well in that's well, true I mean a lot of things have changed even if you look now at AD jobs that come open at all levels division one two three a lot more females are being hired in those positions, which I think is good. Uh, obviously brings a whole different perspective. And as you mentioned, you know, our other um, staff member, Ellen Smilowitz, who I'm sure you remember Ellie May, El- Ellie May <laughs> was, uh, was, if I remember correctly, and I'm pretty sure I do, that she was the first female student athletic trainer that was ever able to work Penn State football because she came from Penn State. And that was kind of like a big deal there that, you know, you had a female student trainer on Joe Paterno's football field. That was just kind of unheard of. And that's only been like the early 90s. It hasn't, you know, not like 1960. That was like in 1990. So I think a lot of those things are changing and, and, you know, for the good and, uh, but I think, you, Maria, I've always said this, and you've heard me probably say this a lot of times. I've always felt that athletic trainers, if, if you look at all the positions in an athletic department, um, in leadership roles and all that, athletic trainers have the best insight of anybody in an athletic department. And, and I also concur that coaches do, too, because they're with the kids a lot. They're, you know, they recruit them. They get to know their families and all that. Uh, but athletic trainers, I think, make excellent athletic administrators because you've been there. You know, you know the needs of the kids and y- you know everything that goes on in that athletic training or in that athletic department every single day. You know, so. Yeah. And it's we a credit been- to where you're at because, you know, people who hired you saw those leadership qualities in you from what you've done in your career. So I always encourage athletic trainers to really look to go into administration because, uh, they're a perfect fit for those jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Can we go back to, 
to the time that I met your dad because yes. these are these are some of the the funny <laughs> things that I'm like I need to make sure I say this. Yes, I'm I'm glad because we usually we start with the funny parts and end with the covid parts, but we got the covid part out of the way, so now we can go to the funny parts and switch up our episode a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to laugh and you know, your dad's a little bit of a good-natured um individual, always happy, <laughs> always um, you know, his contagious See? laugh. Well, now, Except for, wait, Maria, now, yeah, Maria. Let me, let me interrupt you. My daughter, <laughs> I was just talking to her before we went he on this He wasn't talking. Pro- he was, for lack of a better term, bitching well, about something. About, about something. And then she says, how come you've become so grouchy? And I said, I'm not grouchy. So go ahead. Now tell them, what a, wonder- grouchy tell them what a wonderful person I am. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it, it's just he would sit in his office. And the way the office, the staff offices were on one side, and then the GA's offices were in the trenches of all of the the students in the taping area and stuff like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And like he would sit in his office and he would just yell at the top of his lungs, like, (laughs) Ellie, Ellie, get in here. And Bernard, and he would yell at Bernie and poor Beverly. Beverly was our insurance coordinator and she was this little petite little lady and she wore her heels every day and Beverly, Beverly, and he would yell at her and she would come in her little heels and come around the corner and like it was just it was just so much fun to work there. And then, yeah. you know, Jimmy is still one of my closest friends to this day. And, you know, we worked with Joel and Bobby Haas. And, you know, I mean, it was a real connection that I had with with all of the UNLV people, the no-show parties that we would go to at conventions and you would meet GAs from the past. And, you know, Grace Golden is one of my best friends to this day. And, you know, I met her there and just like, it's just like, it was a great place. It was, um, you know, a sweatshop. They, these GAs, we got paid nothing and we would have to work all these things yeah. and go forward. But, yeah. um, you know, it gave us the opportunity and gave us two years experience because all of the jobs you needed your certification plus two years experience. So you mm-hmm. didn't need a master's at that point, but, you know, you needed that two years experience. So might as well get your master's degree at the same time. But it just, it broadens who you know in the profession because it's definitely who you know, um, and it's and it's knowing and even the conventions are different. So like going to conventions, there's there's the the pros. So there's the you know the baseball and the football pros, and then you have your you know Division One universities, and then you you have all of them that socials together, and then you have your community colleges, and you know so it's just a very diverse group and you kind of stick within your group kind of thing. And so I was the odd person who would, because Jim went to community colleges first. Um, and so then I would be the university, I'd be hanging out with the UCLA people, but then I would be with the community college people, which probably helped me in my career. I mean, Jim is the one that brought me over to Riverside Community College and was, you know, was there, but um, just the connections that we made and just, you know, we even hung out with, you know, all of the GAs for football and the weight room GAs. I mean, you remember Bink and Haskell and Bob is now a head coach at Mount Sac. And so, you know, I still see all of these people on a regular basis. And so it's just kind of cool that that's where it came from. Yeah. So 
when you got hired as the GA there, who actually hired you? It was Jerry. Okay. So what did you think? Like, what was, if you can remember back, like, what was your first impression of this weirdo? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, he reminded me, see, I have a lot of family. My whole dad's side of the family is from Pittsburgh. So he was, you know, very much an East Coast, you know, and I was like, West Virginia, what's going on? And then having him and Kyle in the same place and they have their little, you know, accents and, and things like that. And so I remember just, like meeting him going, you know, like, okay. And I'm very OCD. Like, you know, I have everything set in place and, you know, put, and then Jerry's just kind of like, okay, let's go. What sounds good? (laughs) You know, you guys want to go like, Hey, there's a concert over the Thompson Mac. Let's go. We'll sneak in the back. And we were like, what the heck? (laughs) So it was those kind of things that we did together I mean, I remember going to the Christmas party at your house, Jerry, that you would let all the GAs come over there and poor Megan was in her carrier and Jimmy and Johnny were running around and, <laughs> and that's just going, oh God, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was things like that, that, you know, you just never, um, you never forget. Like I just have those bonds, you know, I can call Jerry and how did you say my name, Jerry? Maria. <laughs> that was what I got yelled at across yeah. the, you know, the thing. Um, so we just we just all had our little um our little quirks and just the the little sayings like dank and boom done. And you know, it was like, okay, the conversation's over. Yeah. <laughs> like that, where you're just like, okay. Um, but it just made it such a fun place to to work and to, you know, have your first experience as a job as a certified athletic trainer. It was just it was, it was good, but he was definitely, you know, this redneck guy that was going <laughs> West Virginia going, Oh gosh, you know, <laughs> what do I got myself into? Yeah. yeah. Well, I never did try to take myself too seriously. Um, <laughs> and I always felt that, you know, my, my best experience to, to that date, um, you know, was being a GA at Iowa state and, you know, Frank Randall was, um, uh, was the same kind of a way, man. He just expected you to get it done and, and gave you a lot of independence and a lot of freedom to, to do it. And, and of course, back then I, I had to rely on you guys because we didn't have a big staff and we had all those sports that needed to be covered. And, um, you know, so I figured, Hey man, you, you know, sometimes you're going to sink and sometimes you're going to swim and you know, whatever happens, happens. And, uh, you know, I, I always say, say this saying, um, the old golf coach at UNLV, when I first got there, and gosh, I can't believe I can't remember his name right now. Coach, uh, oh, he, he was the old athletic director, and I, 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 I can't believe I can't remember, but he always used to tell me, Jerry, what's another drink when you're drowning? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I always used to think, you know, that that's so true. Like, you know, hey, what the hell? You, you're either going to sink or swim, so you know, it, it'll all work out. And uh, but. You know, what you said is true because we did have a good time and you guys that came in, you know, you kept those bonds for years and years and years. And the one thing that I I prided myself and our staff, not only me, but the success that you guys all had when you left, you know, I mean, if you really, you know, you're an AD now, you know, Jim went, you know, he's, I don't know what, is he like the provost now or something <laughs> at Riverside, but, you know, he, he's done really well. Tim Fennessy, you know, is, um, who's up at, uh, 
uh, Red River, I think, or what's that called? Is it it's American South- River? American, American River. River. You know, he was started as the athletic trainer up there. And now he's like a dean or something. You know, Bobby Haas was with the Dallas Cowboys and then ended up, you know, being a physical therapist. And, um, you know, Joe Holcomb has got his own business now in Texas. He's some, he's a motivational speaker and some other stuff. So I'm, I'm really, you know, proud of you guys for what you've done. And, and we had a great time together. It was a lot of fun, you know, so. Maybe, uh, maybe we can get Joe Holcomb on the show to motivate you back to your jolly self <laughs> from back in the day. I don't need motivation. <laughs> I need less stress, less stress. Also, for our listeners and Maria, if you have children, do not teach your children what's another drink when you're drowning because that's probably the worst thing my dad could have ever told me. I'll be like... Oh, I'm going to buy this $100 dress. And well, I might as well buy this because what's another drink when you're drowning? (laughs) (laughs) So don't tell your children that because they take it to heart. (laughs) So what, what, I mean, aside from all that, Maria, like what, what, when you were at UNLV, what was your, what was your fondest memory there of, you know, what you accomplished as an athletic trainer? Like what sports or, you know, something that, you yeah, really so I, sticks I out did to swimming. You. I did swimming and track. And so um, I, you know, got to know, I, I grew up as a gymnast. And so when I was, you know, at Cal State Fullerton, they had a gymnastics team. They didn't have one at UNLV, but I tried to steer clear of gymnastics. So it was like learning new sports. And so um, those were the, the, the ones that I, that I got, but I still was working, helping with basketball if it needed or football, we all worked the home football games. And so it was kind of like, we just kind of worked together as a team, um, when they were there. And so I think it was just, um, learning how to know that, you know, you're the one that makes the ultimate decision. And yeah, I could, I could run it by, you know, you or Ellen or Kyle or Bernie, but it was basically like the buck stops with you. You decide you deal with the team doctor. And and so it was that learning thing that I think is just invaluable to making you a strong, independent athletic trainer that made me ready to go on and take the job at UC Irvine and then to move to UCLA and to work with the Olympic teams and, and thinking, building up that confidence of going, okay, you know, you know, to ask for help, but it gives you that guidance to kind of figure it out. So, um, you know, just, you know, going to the, going to the basketball games, even though it was Raleigh Massimino and it wasn't Tark, but it was still right after the Tark times. And so we still filled up that stadium and, you know, you get everybody doing the shark and chanting rebels. And, you know, it's, it's just something that you, you don't forget. And I remember people asking me all the time going, you live in Vegas? Like, you know, what do you do? Do you go to the strip all the time? I'm like, no, I never go to the strip. Like, it was like, no, there's regular people in Las Vegas. And, um, you know, and then it's just cool to go full circle. I ended up marrying a swimmer, but I didn't date him while I was there because that's very taboo. But it was after I graduated and he graduated that we kind of connected again. And so, um, you know, my son having two rebel parents, um, and now he is a rebel is, is kind of cool. They kind of call him a legacy, you know, like this, the generation kid and, um, you know, has built up, had it was one of his best 
you know, seasons as much as you could in COVID, but, you know, he'll be there for five years, you know, with, with, with doing that. And, you know, so my memories are more on the off duty stuff, you know, going to the four kegs and (laughs) (laughs) doing those kind of stuff and going to the parties and the things that the antics that we, you know, built up with each other off of the, um, the thing, the job is the job and you build up those connections with the, that, with the athletes and the, um, and the coaches and stuff like that. But my true, you know, people were definitely the athletic trainers in that room. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those some, some really good times and really good memories for sure. You know, and, um, and, and, you know, if you look at it now, uh, and I, I was going to ask you this, maybe it's a good segue, but what do you think about the new regulations that are coming in about needing a master's degree before you can take your certification? And what impact do you think that's going to have on what we had at UNLV? And, and the same thing at Albany, when I was getting ready to retire, you know, that is it, st- it was supposed to come into effect in 2020, but I don't think it did. Did it? It, Yeah, I think it's, it's 2022 that they, they, you know, so, so I think, um, there's still people that are graduating from bachelor's programs that are, um, that are able to sit for the, the certification exam. Um, it's, it's just making our profession there's, and I, and I hate to say this, but there's the traditional athletic trainers and then there's the research athletic trainers and the evidence-based athletic trainers. And so you have to have the research and the evidence base to be able to justify kind of what we do and the education that we that we have there. Um, it's, it's getting people to understand. I mean, I've even heard different coaches and different people on your podcast saying trainers instead of athletic trainers. And, um, I, I think it's a, a necessary move for the amount of respect and that we, that we need, but the problem is, is that the society hasn't caught up to it. And so, um, they're not necessarily, we have the education and we can do like, we tried to in California, we are the only state that is not licensed. Um, we don't have licensure in athletic training in California, um, and it's just due to the fact that the the physical therapy group is probably so big and occupational therapy and things like that that they don't want us taking their patient loads. But um, it's it's a it's a battle. But we we tried to like volunteer to help. Like we can you know help with the vaccinations and the you know things of that nature. But they were like, no, you're not licensed. You can't give the shots, even though we're medical people dealing with things. All you know trying to get our vaccinations as medical care, you know, people was a little bit tough. And, you know, so it's just, it's finding that balance of how do we get respected? And so our education level, you know, I, I see both. I see us needing that education level and I see us needing that degree to get us a bump of where we need to be as an American medical association affiliate, but I also see that it takes away from some of the stuff we're getting too scientific and too technical where it's losing the opportunity of having that open room athletic trainer where anybody can come in and get treatment versus an appointment. You need an appointment and you need to do this and and I can see you. So it's taking away a little bit of the personality, I guess, of the athletic training rooms Mm -hmm. and making them more 
medical. Now, is that good or is that bad? I don't know. So does the having your master's, does that eliminate the GA portion? Like, so you go directly to get your master's and then, okay, you're an athletic trainer now. Yeah. So it would just now, it, it would probably still be certification and two years experience for, for these jobs, but now you would do an intern. So you would just change it from a GA position where they would pay for, you know, my tuition. Now they're just going to pay an internship minimal amount for you to work and you do, you're an intern, you know, so a lot of, of those schools that used to have GAs and run on GAs like UNLV did, now they're just going to have interns. Well, that's hard too. I mean, if you think about it, if you're somebody, an individual going to college and going as far as to get a master's degree only to then have to intern for minimum wage for two years, like how many people are going to be interested in that? Oh, it's, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, seeing like, I, you know, Jerry's entrance salary of 18,000, mine was, my entrance salary was, I think it was like 32, you know, so, so got a job as, you know, at UC Irvine, I think it was like 32,000. And, um, you know, and these kids are, are graduating these master's level things. And then they're like, really, I'm going to make a job for, you know, I mean, the way in that people always ask me, cause I've worked at all the different levels, like working at a division one, unless you're the head athletic trainer or have been there, uh, UNLV's odd that had Kyle and Bernie there for so long, because usually there's more of a turnover, but you know, um, usually, you know, the head makes quite a bit of money cause they're, you know, put in charge of it, but the, the assistance that you get, like they're not making all that much money, you know? And so that's why there's so much turnover, you know, in division one jobs with athletic trainers. And it depends on the coaches because coaches have their own people and there's turnovers with a lot more turnovers at division one coaches at the community college. My, you know, full-time faculty, their full-time faculty first, and then their coaches. And so they, they don't, their job doesn't depend on their win or loss record, mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't depend. So you have to find different motivations for that, but getting, you know, the pay level at the community college, when I took the job as an athletic trainer at the community college, I was making way more than I ever would have at UCLA, mm -hmm. you know, but you get the perks. I, you know, you travel and you get to, you know, I got the exposure to the Olympic team. You get a bunch of gear, you get all, you know, so <laughs> when you're young, those things appeal to you. When you get older, you're like, show me the money, you know? Yeah. So it, <laughs> yeah. it just depends on, on where it is. And, um, community college also like in California community colleges, we have a pension. So, that's very enticing yeah. to have that pension that is your longevity depends on, you know, what you get in your retirement and you're not putting away necessarily. You have that pension that you can rely on is huge. Yeah, that's awesome. But so Maria, but one thing too about this whole internship thing, but see, I don't, you, you couldn't have what we had at UNLV now because you can't bring a, well, I should say you can't, but so you, you, a person graduates with their bachelor's degree and we say, okay, Maria, we want you to be an intern at UNLV for two years to get your master's degree so you can be, become certified. 
but we really can't use you as independently as we used you because you were already certified when you came to UNLV. Does that make sense? So you're, you're going to bring in interns that aren't certified. No, you're bringing interns that are certified after so, they get their so masters. These are these. So the GAs go away. So, right. so, the, uh, so they have to go to a curriculum program to be able to become certified. So unless you have a curriculum program in your, you won't have student helpers. Does that make sense? So, so yeah. it, it makes a difference for the, for the students, but it makes a difference. So these athletic training students are now going into curriculum programs that have to follow the Katie rules and they are making sure that they're following that curriculum. There's only, you know, limited schools that have those. And once you graduate from there, you will sit for your exam, but now you have your master's and you're certified, but you have no experience. So that's when you would hire as an AD, I would hire an intern and make the minimum calls certified and have a master's because they were, it's going to go hand in hand. If they're certified now, they should okay. have a master's. But they, and, they, but they wouldn't have the experience that you guys had coming in or I had as a GA. They right? just get it two years later. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So now you can't, you can't even become an intern until you've completed a master's program. Yes. Which to me seems ass backwards, honestly, like, you know, you've done six six plus years of schooling only to now kind of go backwards and do the the physical work of the degree that you were receiving. And they do they do within the Katie, there's so many hours and there's so many rotations and stuff that you do. So it's supposed to be kind of like, you know, the medical field, like that you do rotations and you're doing your residency kind of thing, but you're doing these rotations to gain your experience, but there's nothing like real experience because even being a student under the Katie program, you still always have a supervising um, preceptor that is, you know, overseeing what you do. It's a whole different ballgame when it's like, nope, the buck stops with you. You're it, you know? And so, and so having that that experience is is tough to get it's going to be tougher to get and then you get these graduates that you know I worked with graduate students at Cal Baptist University and now I'm working with Long Beach State but you have those those people that have issues because they're like, what do you mean? I'm not getting a job that pays $65,000. Like I just graduated. I have my master's. I'm certified. I'm just like you. And I'm like, mm, almost. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, that's right. You're a preceptor at Cal at Long Beach, right? Yeah. A preceptor is a teacher is. Yeah. So you, so you're, you have to follow Katie guidelines and, and you have to be, um, you know, making sure that you, are educating them according to, um, what they want. Um, and that's, uh, I keep saying Katie was the accrediting, um, thing that we use for, for athletic training. Um, that's just the acronym, but it just, you have to make sure that your teaching falls within the philosophies that they're doing. And then, um, you were, you know, report back to the institution and you have like evaluations that you have to do and, um, and things of that nature. But it's, it is also helpful because you do lose, 
Now, those student athletic trainers that are very valuable um, and, you know, that help and help with the water and help with setup and they help with taping and they help with, you know, all these other things. Um, so those are very valuable. So in order to get those type of students, it's almost necessary to be uh, involved with the program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no, there's no doc master and artos out there running around. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> the good doctor. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, w before we, um, conclude here, you know, a couple things. I mean, w one of the, the, the best things about it, and I've said this million of times over uh, about UNLV during my time there was our doctors. Um, you know, we, we had acts, unlimited access to, you know, those guys, you know, the Callaways, the oars, and, you know, it's so sad that Dr. Higgins is no longer with us. And it's so sad that Gary Marone is no longer, you know, with, with us, Dr. Capanna, uh, no longer with us. And boy, those were, you know, just, you know, guys that really, you could call any hour of the day, any hour of the night, and, and they would be, uh, you know, at your beck and call. And boy, you just hate to see those kind of people, you know, pass on. Dr. Callaway's retired and, and, you know, he has some health problems. What a great guy he was. Dr. Hamilton, you know, our eye doctor and, Dr. Twesme and I mean, all those guys were just fantastic. And I hope I'm not missing any of them, but, uh, Dr. Bigler, you know, so, um, yeah, that was the other part of that, that, uh, that job that I really enjoyed was getting to know those folks and, and the services that they provided for our student athletes was like, I probably as good as you're going to get anywhere in the country, really, if you really think yeah, about it. I remember driving, what kind of car was that that you had that little Pontiac or whatever that white car was and oh. we'd <laughs> drive our athletes and Jerry, I'm using the car. We're going to, you know, we're going to take them and yeah. they would see us anytime, you know, so you call them and they're like, bring them over. And we were, you know, just able to have that access. It was really, really yeah. nice. I remember a couple times Higgins, you know, we had a football game on Saturday night and, and, you know, Higgins would do maybe like a, an arthroscopic surgery on Sunday from one of the kids or whatever. And I remember a couple times, you know, we, we went to pick, you know, pick them up on Sunday afternoon, you know, to bring them, you know, take them to their apartment and the, the, the ER the, would say, oh, no, they, they went home with Dr. Higgins. <laughs> he literally would take him to his house because the kids would say, well, I don't really have a roommate. I don't have it. So he'd take him to the house. Lucia would feed him, and then they would, they would recover at his house for the weekend. I mean, <laughs> That's awesome. He was like the best, you know. But uh, He God. was the best. Dr. Higgins lent us his cabin once in Idaho. Sun Valley. Sun Valley, and we... Got to go up there, use his cabin, snowboard, ski. It was amazing. Yeah, his he kept telling me about his cabin. Oh, Jerry, you got to go. You got to go to my cabin. You got you got to take your family up there. It's awesome. It's awesome. So, you know, I'm thinking cabin. Like, I'm thinking like, you know, here's a little log cabin in the woods, you know. Yeah, and we mansion. get up there and it's it's, it's like a 5,500 square foot house. Yeah, this like, was a mansion. It wasn't a cabin. <laughs> right on the ski slopes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that was, was awesome. yeah, they, those were some special people, but yeah. Well, Maria, we really appreciate your time yeah. and coming on and it's really cool that your son's a rebel. We'll definitely have to cheer, cheer for him. Look yes, up the everybody cheer. Cameron Castro. Cameron Castro. <laughs> well, I, I follow you on Facebook. I see all of his accomplishments on Facebook, so that's good. And, uh, yeah. it's nice. That's, that's the other reason I really enjoy 
Facebook and social media is because it brought me back in touch with some of, you know, the GAs that I've lost touch with over the years or the students even from that regard, you know, so yeah, pretty cool. Awesome. Well, Well, thank you. Continue. This is awesome podcast. I enjoy it. I listen to it. So, you know, just keep it up. Yeah. And, (laughs) and thanks again for coming. Um, and if you know anyone that wants to be on the show that you recommend, send them our way. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're open to anybody. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, Maria. Thank you. All right. Very good. Thanks, Maria. Always a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. 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 All right, everyone, that wraps up another episode here on Cuddy and the Cooge. We have some more guests lined up for you in the following weeks, so we will see you next week. Have a good week, everybody, and stay tuned for more episodes to come. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge, Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.